Welcome to Alpha and Omega Ministries International. This ministry is committed to bringing apostolic alignment and restoration of the values and principles of the Kingdom of God to the body of Christ. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. We're currently studying the examples of people who exercise their faith and receive their miracle. If you have been with us on this journey of the series of Overcoming Faith, you will know that we have looked at several things that need to be aligned before our faith becomes productive in our walk with the Lord. And one of the first lessons we've done is that our thought life needs to be in alignment with God's Word. In other words, our minds must be renewed with God's thoughts and God's ways of thinking and doing. Because if our thought life is not in agreement with the Word of God, our faith will be unproductive. And our faith will never rise any higher than our thinking. If our thinking is wrong, our believing will be wrong, and ultimately our actions will be wrong as well. The, the, the next lesson we've done is the importance of words. The words that we speak carry power of life or death. That's what the scripture tells us. The power of life and death is not in the hands of God, it's in the hands of man, especially our tongue. That's what the Bible says. The power of life and death is in the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. If our faith is to bring the desired results, that not only our thinking has to be straightened out, but also the words that we speak must be in agreement and in line with God's word. <coughs> God told Joshua many years ago in the Old Covenant, this word of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. In other words, we are to continually be speaking words that are in agreement with God's word. Amen? Say what God says. <coughs> and oftentimes, what God says is not the same that what our body says, or what our eyes see, or what our feelings feel. And that's when we come to a place where we have to choose. Are we going to walk by the flesh, by the feelings, or by what we see? Or are we going to speak and walk by what we believe? the Word of God. And so our thinking must be in alignment with God, our words must be in alignment with God, as well as our actions. Faith is revealed and expressed through words and through actions. Amen? So, and we've studied several examples. The one example that we've studied was the story of David and Goliath in the Old Covenant. And we saw how David exercised his faith and defeated the giant who oppressed the children of Israel or the armies of Israel for 40 days and 40 nights. He tormented them. He intimidated them by his size and by what he looked like. And so David stood, he, went, he, he stood up and he said, Speaking words of faith, he said, don't worry, king, I will deal with this giant. And we see how David defeated the giant through faith. 
and we see how his faith was exercised. By the words that he spoke, continually David said what he was going to do, and by his actions. We've also studied the faith of the woman with the issue of blood. Remember that last week? Who received her healing, she was subjected to this constant flow of blood for 12 long years. The Bible says she suffered many things from many physicians, spent all the money she had, and instead of getting better, she grew worse (coughs) until she heard of Jesus. When she heard, the Bible says she believed. And because she believed, she released that believing through the words that she spoke. She said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. And she got exactly what she believed, and she got exactly what she said. (coughs) Today we're going to look at two more examples of faith, as of course we close the series of teaching on the overcoming faith of the believer. All of these things that were written, both in the Old and in the New Covenant, the Bible says they were written for our edification, as examples for us to look up to and learn vitally important lessons of these men and women who exercised their faith in God and received their miracle, whatever that miracle was. And we spoke about how faith is the designated channel by which we receive what God has promised. It's not a matter of God giving us. It's a matter of us being able to receive from God what He has already given in Christ Jesus. Christ has purchased every blessing, both spiritual and natural, that we need in order to live a godly life. That's what Second Peter says. According to the promises of God, uh, it says something like, uh, who, how does it say? Second uh, Peter, anybody has a paper Bible, please? We don't seem to use those anymore. Paper Bible, Second Peter. Listen to what Peter says. Second Peter, chapter one, Michael, a month, yeah, chapter one, <coughs> and verse three. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter says His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has already given, Jesus has already purchased every blessing, both natural and spiritual. So the problem is not with God giving, the problem is with us receiving, and it takes faith to receive. That is why I said last week we need to increase our ability or our capacity to receive from God all that He has given to us. Now, Our first example is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, 
beginning with verse 22, as Mark relates the events that led to the raising of Jairus' daughter from the deathbed. And we read from verse 22, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Mark 5, beginning with verse 22, And behold, (coughs) one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and I'm picking up, I'm I'm omitting a few verses, and I'm picking up after the healing of the woman with the issue of blood. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Then he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he put them, when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked. For she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. Now here we see a concerned father coming to the Lord Jesus and asking him to heal his daughter who was at the point of death. We have often said in the series of lessons that we've been doing on the subject of faith that our words are vitally important. The words that we speak, the words that we approach God with when we pray, and generally the words that we use in our day-to-day conversation. We've talked about how words, they determine the course of life and death by authorizing either the Lord or the devil. The Lord gives life. The devil gives what? He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. We need to realize that God the Father has endowed the human race, and particularly the born-again believer, with authority on this (coughs) earth. Simply by you being a human being, you have authority on this earth. 
especially when you are born again and you use the name of Jesus, you are authorized on this earth to govern the affairs within your sphere of influence. The Bible says that Jesus died and he made us through his blood kings and priests. How do, how do kings rule? They rule by the decrees they make. Amen? They have authority. You as a king in Christ Jesus have authority over the domain that God has given you to rule and to govern. If things are in a mess in your sphere of influence, it's your fault. It's not God's fault. So don't blame God if your sphere of influence is in a chaos. Amen? Because God is looking to you to put order in your family, in your place of work, in your business, and wherever God has given you influence. It all depends on you to exercise that authority and bring peace and bring order and create an atmosphere through your faith in which God is able to work and do His work. Amen? So, we say that words determine the course of life or the course of death. We need to realize that you have authority. We have authority. One of the primary ways we release that authority is through our words. We need to have a revelation of this. Please notice the words Jairus uses to approach Jesus with. He said, my little daughter lies at the point of death, tells him the way things are. But he said, you come, you lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. <coughs> There's no doubt here. There's no trace of unbelief. If you come and you lay your hands on my daughter, I know she will be well, she will be healed. Jairus released his faith by the words he chose to address Jesus with. And through his faith, he also determined how his daughter would be healed. Isn't that amazing? Jesus did not determine the way. Jairus determined which way his daughter would be healed. He said, come lay your hands on her and she will live. Now, Jesus, we see here, the Lord responding to this man's request of faith follows Jairus to his house. Here we see something wonderful taking place and I want you to take note of it. If you're taking notes, take note of this, what I'm going to say now. The ministry of Jesus is directed and governed by the confession of our faith. The ministry of Jesus even today <coughs> is directed and governed by the confession of our faith. We determine not the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus is sent on behalf of the confession of our faith. And it is written in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 in the uh, New King James Version. 
Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that again. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, who's he talking to? To us, to the believer. Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. The word apostle is the Greek word for apostolos. The word apostolos means one who is sent. Okay, you got that? Think now. Jesus is the apostle of our confession. What does that tell you? That means that Jesus is sent on the behalf of the confession of your faith. Do you see that? He is the apostle and the high priest. What is the high priest? The high priest represents the people before God. He takes what people say and gives it to God. Now, if you give the Lord words of unbelief, words of doubt, he can't use them. He can't repeat them to the Lord. If you speak words of doubt and unbelief and negativity, then Jesus has got nothing to work with. Someone else is going to go to work on your behalf. Are you listening to me? So we see here that Jesus is sent. <coughs> Apostelide. He is sent on the behalf of the confession of your faith. And that's what he's done. That's what he's doing here in the story that we just read. While on the way, bad news confronts them. The messenger said, trouble the master no longer because your daughter is already dead. By the time Jairus came to the Lord and laid his request at the Lord's feet, and Jesus was delayed through the healing of the woman with the issue of blood, the daughter already died. So the bad news comes. He usually come after the good news. Now Jesus responds immediately and he says, Do not be afraid, only believe. Jairus never opened his mouth again to say anything but continued to believe, refusing to doubt, or to give in to fear. Let me say this, the hardest thing sometimes to do is to keep your mouth shut and not say anything negative in the face of adverse circumstances or bad news. Your flesh wants to react, <coughs> wants to respond to this bad news to this negative news. Can you imagine now, here's the father, his daughter is dying, 12 years of age, and he's confronted with this bad news. Can you imagine what goes on through his mind? He must be going, losing it. But notice, he never opened his mouth and he never said another word. And you know how difficult that is to do? In front of adverse circumstances, when everything around you 
is communicating fear, intimidation, negativity, and pain? He said nothing. So here we see Jairus demonstrating his faith. You see, faith without action, the Bible says, is dead. Faith not only has words, but faith has actions. <coughs> he demonstrated his faith in the words of Jesus by acting on his words and keeping silent in the face of terrible news. I believe, personally, the most powerful act of faith is to stand still, keep your mouth shut, and watch the Lord go to work on your behalf. When God gets ready to bless you, you don't have to do a single thing. Stand still. Standing still is communicating your faith. You're not panicking. You're not picking up the phone to phone the pastor or picking up the phone to phone your friend and to start whining and complaining and doubting and 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 communicating what you feel and what you see. You're standing still, you keep your mouth shut, and you wait for God to act on your behalf. That, to me, is the most powerful act of faith. Not panicking. Not giving in to fear. Not giving in to intimidation. That is exactly what Moses told the children of Israel to do when Pharaoh was chasing them. He said to them, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still. Fear will cause you to run around <laughs> like a, what do you call those things that you spin? Top. Like a top. Should I do this? <laughs> Let me do this. Let me do that. Your mind goes, goes into over, over, overdrive. Should I do this? Should I do that? The best thing you can do when you're standing in faith is to just sit still and do nothing. Let the devil bark as much as he wants to. You can't keep his mouth shut. He's going he's gonna to spew out fear and unbelief and intimidation. You don't give in to that. You just stand still. And having done all to stand, the Bible says, stand having your loins girt with the truth, with the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Fear always causes you to run around. Faith calms you down and you enter into a place of rest. It says, fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today... You shall see again no more forever. It took a whole lot of faith for the children of Israel to stand still in the face of an army coming against them and before them the Red Sea waiting to drown them. When we panic and give in to fear, our mouth starts to run away with words of fear and doubt and unbelief. And our actions release an atmosphere of fear instead of faith. You know, actions release a spiritual atmosphere, either of faith or of fear. 
Jairus acted on the words of Jesus. He kept his posture of faith and followed the Lord one step at a time to his house. Notice, please, how Jesus allowed no one to follow him into the house except his three most mature disciples, Peter, James, and John, and, of course, the parents of the little girl. When he reached the house, he saw all the commotion that was taking place, and notice what he did. The Bible says he put everyone out. Why did he do that? Because in an atmosphere of unbelief, there was nothing he could do. Absolutely nothing. Atmosphere is vitally important for your miracle to come through. You have to create that atmosphere. It is your responsibility to make room for God to move. To set things in order. To create an atmosphere in your home, in your family of faith. So Jesus said, get out of here. He took everybody out. They were crying, they were wailing, you know, they were moaning. There was no, no, no trace of faith. So he had to put them all out. There's a powerful lesson for us to learn here from the Master himself, that in an atmosphere of unbelief and doubt, Jesus can do nothing, absolutely nothing. He had to first clear the atmosphere from all unbelief before he could raise the little girl. Maintaining an atmosphere of faith requires us to, to remove the negative influence from our lives, and that sometimes includes people, the people you walk with, the people you fellowship with, the people you are close to, you have close fellowship with. If they are negative, they're going to communicate to you a spirit of negativity and unbelief. They always see the glass half full. It's never uh, half empty. It's never half full. Are you listening to me? Now, most people in my years of experience, when they go through difficult times, what they want is rather sympathy and not the miracle when they're going through tests and trials. They want to go on and on about what they're going through, how painful it is, how you do not understand. Are you listening to me? The flesh craves for sympathy, but God is looking for what? Sympathy will not help you. <coughs> Amen? Faith will. So, <laughs> our flesh craves for sympathy. Want people to feel sorry for what you're going through. Amen? Oh, but you don't understand, Pastor. Sure I don't, but he does. I didn't write the Bible. He did. Amen? So before we receive the miracle of provision in Cape Town for our building, you know what God had to do? He removed all the naysayers, all the doubters and the grumblers. Every one of them was gone. And then God provided the miracle of provision. But he couldn't do it before because the atmosphere wasn't right. 
No, they, they were not comfortable in an atmosphere of faith. I don't understand that. So one by one, the grumblers, the complainers, the doubters, they left. And when they left, God poured out his miracle of provision and we were able to put the building up debt free. Now, when the atmosphere was cleared of unbelief, Jesus walks over to the dead girl and what does he do? Exactly what Jairus said. That's why I said our faith determines sometimes how God is going to work. He did exactly what Jairus asked him to do. He laid his hands on her and spoke to her and she arose. Do you see that? That is why I say that Jesus' ministry is by and large directed and governed by the confession of our faith. Let's look at another example. In conclusion, the centurion's faith taken from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through to 10, and we will read verse 13 as well. The centurion's faith. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 through to 10, and we'll read verse 13 as well. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Once again, we clearly see here, in this portion of scriptures that we've read, the ministry of Jesus is directed and governed by the centurion's faith. The centurion said to the Lord, Lord, you do not have any need. I don't need you to come to my house. This is... This is this is different from Jairus' faith. Jairus wanted Jesus to come to his house and lay hands on his daughter. But the centurion had a highest form of faith. And he says, Lord, you don't have to come to my house. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now you see here, the Bible says that Jesus marveled at the faith of this man who was a Gentile, not a Jew. And said, I have not seen such great faith in all Israel. Jesus here is making a point that this is the highest form of faith. The highest form of faith is the faith that needs no other evidence to believe, save the word of the living God. God said it, 
That settles it. I don't have to see anything. I don't have to feel anything to believe that I have what God says I have. To believe I am who God says I am. And to believe I can do what God says I can do. I don't have to feel it. I don't have to see it. All I have to do is believe what God says. This is the highest form of faith. Now, Jesus responds to this man's confession of faith saying, Go, and as you have believed, let it be done unto you. He got exactly what he believed. Not just what he believed, but what he said. Believing with the heart is not enough. You have to say with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Or else it won't work for you. The Bible says that the word which we preach must be first in our mouth, then in our hearts. The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart. It has to be in both the heart and the mouth in order for the Lord to work. Believing with the heart is not enough. You have to have the courage not only to believe in your heart, but to say what you believe. Amen? David said, I will take your head off today. He didn't just believe it, he said it. And he did it. The woman with the issue of blood, not only did she believe, but she said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. The centurion didn't just believe. He said, say the word, my servant will be healed. Just the word is good enough for me. I don't have to see anything. You don't have to come to my house. You don't even have to lay hands on my servant. I believe if you say the word, because I recognize you as a person of authority, demons and sickness are subject to your word. And if you speak that word, it's good enough for me. Amen. Amen. That's the highest form of faith. Now, here we see again that Jesus does exactly what the man believed in his heart and confessed with his mouth. He is the apostle of the confession of our faith. The woman with the issue of blood said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be healed. She got exactly what she said. Jairus said, come and lay your hand on my daughter and she will live. What did he get? He got exactly what he said, what he believed in his heart, what he said with his mouth. The centurion said, just speak the word, my servant will be healed. He also got what he said. It's important that you check on the words that come out of your mouth when you're going through difficult situations, tests and trials. What do you believe when everything around you points in a different direction? What are the words that come out of your mouth? Because when you believe with the heart, no one can shake that faith. The problem today is we confuse the head with the heart. Just because we know the promise of God, that doesn't mean we believe it from our hearts. Head faith will not do it. It has to be heart faith. The Word must become flesh in you. The promise of God (coughs) must take on flesh and become a revelation to you where you have no doubt whatsoever and you're not afraid to say, I am who God says I am, even though everything around you says otherwise. Amen? So 
The greatest lesson we can learn from these studies of faith that we have done is this. We can either restrict and limit the work of God through our unbelief, or we can release His power and His ability to work on our behalf through our faith, which is activated through our words and actions. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8, verse 2, is released and activated by words and actions of faith. We have to release that law of faith, that law of life, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is released. How do we release that law? By the words we speak and the actions, the corresponding actions of our faith. Once we release that law of the spirit of life, it will set us free. Whatever the situation is, whatever we are bound to, it will bring our miracle to us. Now, believing with your heart and speaking with your mouth, what you believe in your heart, as I said, causes the law of the spirit of life to be activated and released on our behalf. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do, God is able to do, there's no problem with God, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, but it doesn't stop there. It says, according to the power that works in us. What is that power that works in us? It is the power of faith. Amen. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, but He can only do according to your faith. The law of the Bible is, according to your faith, be it done unto you. In fact, today, for myself, I am walking in what I've exercised my faith the last month, last year, five years, ten years ago. I've already spoken the course of my life. I've determined which way I'm going to go by my faith. I said I'm going to serve God. I'm going to follow Him wherever He leads. I'm going to find myself constantly in the center of God's will for my life and for my family. I've already set the course of my destiny by the choice I have made, by the words I have spoken, and I'm walking in those words that I have spoken years ago. You can do the same. Especially you youngsters. You can set the course of blessing and life in your life by what you choose, what you believe, and what you speak. Amen? Praise the Lord. That power, of course, as we said, is faith. And I want to, in closing, challenge you today. What are you believing God for? What are the promises you're standing on? What are you exercising your faith for? When it comes to your family, when it comes to your children, when it comes to your business, when it comes to your future. Amen? What is the Spirit of God prompting you to believe Him for? What's He saying? What's He whispering to you when you wait on Him, when you have your private moments with Him? What's going on down here? Because that's where God speaks to us. 
every type of progress we make, either natural or spiritual, comes through faith. No other way. No other way. Progress comes through faith. Growth comes through faith. Blessing comes through faith. So, it's important for you to hear the Lord for yourself. When you sit at His feet, when you inquire of Him about your family, your children, your business, your future, your destiny, what is He saying? What promises is He whispering to you? These promises will come to pass as you exercise your faith in those words. Amen? You can either walk in the abundance of the Lord or you can either walk in poverty or lack. You can walk in divine health and strength or you can walk in sickness and disease. The Word of God says, With long life I will satisfy you and I will show you my salvation. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. The angel of the Lord encamps around about me. For what? To rescue and deliver me from the wiles of the enemy. Amen? Amen. I dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and I abide under the shadow of the Almighty. No evil shall befall me, neither shall any plague come nigh my dwelling. You need to learn God's promises and live with them. Live with these pictures. Live with this vision. See yourself the way God sees you. Victorious. Overcoming. Amen? Provided for. Taken care of. Walking in the fullness of the blessing of the Lord. Because Jesus paid with His precious blood for us to walk in that fullness of His blessing. Amen? Amen. And your faith is what releases that blessing for you to experience it in your daily walk with God. So we see here, the Bible is, is clear on these things. It said, Jesus is the apostle and the high priest of your confession. What are we confessing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today's lesson. And we thank you for the things you are teaching us in your word. And Lord, it is my prayer today that you would give us an ear that hears what the Spirit is saying, a heart that understands and embraces truth. And as we embrace truth, Father, we pray that that truth will change us from one level of glory to another. Thank you for your word which is so precious to us. And it is through your word that you transition us. It is through your word that you heal and deliver us. It is through your word that you bring every blessing to us, both natural and spiritual. We pray, Lord, that we might be just, not just hearers, but doers of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomegaint.org.za.